Is it working, guys? I'm not even sure about anything these days anymore. Whether everything's working. لما تقينا ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وصلوات الله وسلامه على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم لا سهل إلا ما جاءت سهلة وأنت تجب الحزن إذا شئ سهلة اللهم أعنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك يا رب الكريم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته everybody good evening to all of you wherever you are let's have a look and see all of my peoples, all of my peoples, Fatima Desti, man. Where's Where's Munazam? Where is she, man? Come on. Where's your sister? Where's your sister? Good to see you, Bilal. Ya ahna wa sahla, Maryam. Hope you're good. Hope family's good. Marzita, you're here a bit earlier than last night. At least this is a more human time, right? It was mental, yeah, and it was session walk through a fucking morning craziness. Munazza is here. MashaAllah, Munazza is here, MashaAllah. Excellent. It's nice to see everybody. Genuinely happy to see everyone again. It's been a while. Oh, it hasn't been a while. It's been a week. Okay. I'm getting a bit kind of confused. Auntie Shaquille is there. Nice to see you, Auntie Shaquille. Barakallah And uh, great to see... Uh, oh, Amal, mashallah. Nice to have you with us. Uh, Amal, nice to have you back. I haven't seen you for a while. Uh, yeah, it's two hours missions, man. Two hour session. But at least, Marzita, you were there for the two-hour sessions, unlike a certain Farah who decided to join Yani at the end of the relevant session. So, yeah. That's, subhanAllah, Bilal, that's the reason why I felt like it's been a long time. That's the reason why I felt like it's been a long time because genuinely, the, uh, uh, that extra day feels like, I don't know, like, like an extra week almost. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Anyway, all right, guys, so inshallah today, I really, I just want to say, Farah, Farah, don't be making excuses, bro, okay? All right, it isn't as, as nice a backdrop as it was last week, really nice backdrop it was last, last week. I can't move this, because Hibba will kill me, that's Hibba's the only practice thing. And this is the LP plant now, this is the LP Cairo plan can i just tell you farah who definitely doesn't have your back it's fatima who doesn't have your back because fatima was the first one who laughed her brains out and threw you in to the and it threw you into the maya as soon as she realized yeah and then clocked on that you got clocked so let me just make it clear that everybody's got your your back except fatima right uh Aisha, i hope you're good sorry that this is a little bit earlier sorry that it's a little bit uh, 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 thingy uh, this dean is definitely meant to be studied together. Wa alaikum salam Good to have you, bro. Look after my guy, man. He's nazak at the moment. My boy Danish is nazak, okay? You know what? When you see him, say to him, Danish, AE said that you're a bit nazak at the moment. 
So let's see what's uh, going on. Tanweer, question. Tanweer, wa alaikum salam. The first question is, are we Medina Tanweer or are we Londoner Tanweer? That's yani, the, the most important question that you have to answer, Tanweer. Secondly, golden rule of LP is that you've got to put your surname. Okay, okay, Medina. Very important to have a surname. Everybody should have a surname so that we know exactly who we're speaking to and about. Ahlan wa sahlan tanweer. Hope you're doing good. Uh, Danish is a, a, a G and a gangster and a king amongst men, but he's nazak as well. You know, he went back and he slept for two days and he's still a bit, you know, he goes a bit confused and a bit tired. But he does such great work, mashallah, mashallah. So yeah, the thing that I really realized that about last week, because obviously it was the return of the Umrah and returning back to the Haramain and so on. So I want to share something, I guess, you know, we obviously this class is that relaxed kind of, I was thinking about LP today, actually, you know, just generally, because, we, you know, it's been a bit of a struggle to sort everything out. Good to have you, Baji Khalida, although you blanked us when we gave you a shout out yesterday. Let me just, yeah, you should know that. Oh my God, Danish is here. Danish, I, it's all love, bro. When I say you're Nazak, Nazak, like, just like one's wife is Nazak, yeah? You don't, you don't want yani, someone to be saying to his wife that you're butch. We want, we want, we want, you to, we want to say, she's nazak. You know, it's a piyari kalafaz, yeah? Right? <laughs> nazak is not heartbroken. Nazak is delicate. Delicate, that's the word. Urdu fat folks, is nazak delicate or not? Yeah? You don't want... <laughs> it's not weak. Maryam, that's disgraceful. Well, that's disgraceful. Maryam, stop putting wrong ideas into people's minds. Okay? Delicate. Look at the massive difference between what I did and what Maryam did. Okay? Okay? And look at Farah causing problem. Fragile. What an insult. Okay? And Maryam was like, Astaghfirullah, weak. Delicate. Delicate is a beautiful, yeah, Annie. <laughs> Danish, he's a rock of rocks, but he's at the moment he's a bit nice. <laughs> Every rock has its crack lines, you know, its fault lines. You hit it, Yanni, at, at the right point. No. Sensitive, Yanni. He got to be careful because he's get he's being overwhelmed at the moment. He's being overwhelmed, so he's sensitive at the moment. Listen, my Urdu, my Urdu is on point. It's on point. Okay, it's on point. Anyway, listen, stop distracting me. The, the thing I wanted to say is that the reason that, the thing that I noticed so much last week was, was what a blessing it was to be amongst the believers again. Right? And by that, I mean... Uh, <laughs> oh my God, Chaudhary is here. Guys, 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 guys. <laughs> Muhammad Mudir. Or Mudir, okay? Or Mudir, the king of the Somalis and the champion of all London, is here. Now, you guys know him. He's been an on and off yani kind of person. Uh, but the Mu'atamar of the decade, not just of 2021, I just want to say that I'm so happy. You see? You see, Chaudhary? You got Asl people here, like Maisara, right? Who keep it going. Now Mesut has seen Yanni, his, her teammate, Yanni, join after two years. 
Ahmed we say better late than never, right? Honestly, literally, he was here last time in an LP class in November 2019, right? And by the way, Maryam, this Pushtun could tell you, or this Pukhtun could tell you a lot of Urdu, but I just, you know, I've got to be, you know, I've got to, uh, how can I say? I've got to be humble, isn't it? I don't know any Urdu to save my life, but, you know, when I do get what I do know a word, I'm going to obviously go full at it. So, I just want to say we have a great crowd here, mashallah. We have a great crowd, and the, the thing, obviously, I've said this before, and I'll say it again, a reminder always benefits the believers, that this deen is a, is a, um, a community-based religion, a congregational-based religion. It's not meant to be practiced alone. You know, a lot of people speak about the, con you know, the, the concept of being isolationist and um, um, uh, you know, isolationist, not isolationist, but you know, the concept of i'tikaf and al-i'tizal, of keeping yourself away from the people and that being praised. I want you to imagine, Yani, how crazy it would be for you to think that that's a praiseworthy position, that we are meant to be isolationist or that we're meant to be isolated from people or that we're meant to keep ourselves to ourselves or we're meant to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala all the time alone. Is the antithesis of what Islam is. It's the antithesis, all right? It's the exact opposite to what makes us Ahlul Sunnah. We are Ahl Sunnati Wal Jama'ah. We are the people of the Sunnah and the people of the Jama'ah, keeping the congregation together, being together all the time. When you look at Ahlul Bid'ah, the people of Bid'ah, they're the Ahlul Furqa, right? They are the people who divide and they they separate, yani, you know, uh, they separate us, they separate themselves, they separate us. So it's a really proud aspect of Ahl Sunnati Wal Jama'ah that we work together, uh, that we are inclusive, yeah? But that it's a, it's a, it's a communal effort, that it's a congregational uh, 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 kind of reality. Every aspect of our deen in congregation increases the reward. So for example, the Prophet is yani, obviously wanting us to recite Quran, okay? For example, yet the hadith says that when a group gather together, yetadarasun al-Qur'an, where they are yani, uh, repeating Qur'an and studying Qur'an together, etc. Right? Then this will happen, this will happen, this will happen. Those things did not happen for the individual reciting the Qur'an. When the Prophet spoke about dhikr, he spoke about it in a huge way, of course, and emphasizing the importance of dhikr, emphasizing the reward of it, the haq of it, and so on. However, when he spoke about the circles of dhikr, then the angels are mentioned, and then the rahmah is mentioned, and then يعني, all the reward being spread out, whatever. The Prophet is speaking about the prayer and how important it is, but when it's in jama'ah, then it becomes a key aspect of the deen when, it, when you go to the mosque or 25 times يعني, for the congregation, the hadith in Bukhari 27 times, multiple, multiple, multiple times. When you look at fasting, the the voluntary fasts yani, which are hard enough as it is are done on a individual kind of level to Mondays and Thursdays and Yebo. But when the really important one comes which are far tougher and continuous and you know and so on and so forth, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it obligatory but then makes it obligatory for everyone and subhanAllah after the first two or three are are in and the vibe is going and you're buzzing off Ramadan, it's a piece of cake because people are doing it all together. 
and that makes the same for the tarawih and that makes the same for this i want you to know that when you're when you're when you are doing anything in jama'a anything in jama'a and, uh, and i don't mean in unison i mean as a group of people the blessing flows the action flows and the, so the more people the more uh, you know and this has been obviously big on my mind for the, for the longest time always but in the last couple of years and covid time it's become really really you know a lot of people have suffered in their deen because they realized they were entirely dependent upon the jamaa see the best and the strongest people the best and the strongest people are able to continue by themselves right that's not meant to that's not as maryam said it's the exception not the rule that you are meant to be by yourselves but the whole point is this is what i was telling a lot of the folks at umrah that the the, the, the single most important kind of uh, the single most important objective that you have to have as part of this tarbiyah program is that you are able to sustain yourself when you go back and you're not in front of the Kaaba and you're not in, uh, in the presence of the Prophet ﷺ. Because to worship Allah in these kind of areas and moments is easy. Just like it is when everyone's watching you in a congregation, whether that's in a masjid or in Pakistan or in Saudi or in Manchester. It doesn't matter where you are. If you're in a group, it becomes easier. When you become, when you, when you're by yourself, much more, more difficult. That's why the, um, the concept of ikhlas is more emphasized, of course, when a person is alone and that's why the salaf used to always say that whatever you do in public in terms of ibadah make sure you do more in private that does not mean that the private is better it means it confirms the actual authenticity and correctness of what you're doing in the congregational moments and that you are actually working together as a as a as a unit as opposed to working or worshiping just because of the unit because that would be a problem for your ikhlas Right? You're not doing it because of the unit. You're, do, you're being motivated by the unit. All right? Now, there's a blurred line between being motivated by the unit and doing it for the sake of the unit. Doing it for the sake of the unit is a real problem. It's a weak iman. It could be nifaq. It could be... You know, there's, there's some dodgy potential, potential possibilities there. Riyya, showing off to please others, to build reputation. And there's so many hadith about that. It's such a well-established principle in life. I think you all understand that. But then the idea of then doing it by yourself, being motivated by those people just to make sure that you weren't doing it because of them, you then do it by yourself, which nobody else then can see and nobody else knows, as it can't possibly be for them. And so you're praying your sunnah, you're reciting by yourself at home, you're waking up at night time alone, you're reading the Quran by yourself. This is what confirms the reward of those actions even though in of them in of it in in of themselves the actions intrinsically are of course rewarded but they're not as highly rewarded as the congregational actions it's almost like this is a precondition for the acceptance and the high rewards over there almost almost i want to say a bit more i hope that you allow me to say this forgive me okay but i do want to and i just want to say baji suraya so happy to see you by the way here so so happy to see you here um salma says sometimes it feels easier not to socialize as you're more prone to making mistakes uh, is that the coward's way out this is exactly the coward's way out okay the prophet ﷺ indicated that umar used to be very big on this issue but the prophet 
has has shown us, and there are narrations about this. They're not all the strongest, but to deal or to or to or to um, bear that's the word to bear with their stupidity and the harm of other people is itself an ibadah. It is part and parcel of the game, right? Um, if 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 we were talking about, for example, silatul rahim, right, maintaining family ties. You all know by now, you've all studied the classes and you've, you've been doing this long enough now. You know that you've got options in front of people who are pain in the backside. Okay? And the easiest one is just to boycott them. The easiest is to just, you know, ignore them. The easiest is to just, yeah, I need just, just, yeah. And however, however, that's not what they were put in your life for and that's not what people have been put in our life for we have to socialize we have to now i want to uh, i think everybody gets that and i cannot wait for the classes to start again in live and i can't wait for our maghrib classes which for me used to be a hugely motivating thing for me personally i still love yeah, the classes and it's going to require real effort on behalf of everybody to revive going back to conferences and circles and classes whatever alhamdulillah the jama'ah is starting to increase a bit okay uh, after a long time the numbers were low but when i was just leaving Chido a little while ago it was doing well here in cairo the masajid looking good okay so i think the comeback is 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 you know i'd love to see and i will be in pakistan in a couple of weeks time i want to see you know i'm getting an idea of are we there or not uh, you know, are we coming, you know, back or not? It is absolutely essential that we return. And um, the Hajj with AE team, they released Danish, mashallah, he did an absolute fabulous job in these little short videos that he's making um, that capture what our Umrah program tries to do with the backdrop, of course, of Mecca Medina in five videos. Three are out already. The third one came out today. I saw it about I don't know how many hours ago, but I saw it. And I want you to notice something very, very important. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's so obvious. You must have noticed it. If you've, seen, if you've not seen it, go to the Hajj with AE Facebook page. Um, and the women must be in a complete meltdown shock. Yeah? They're probably thinking, what on earth is going on? And the men are probably confused, right? The men are probably confused when they're looking at that video because it shows the rawdah and it shows it empty. It's absolutely dead. And we're walking around. Obviously, I'm not, I'm not this is the funny thing. Obviously, the whole thing is a cin cinematic, slow kind of slow motion cinematic thing. Yeah. It wasn't that much quicker in real life. We were literally moving at that speed because we were in a state of shock. Now, you guys know that I think that that Rawda is all Jumanji squared, right? Women going mental, the floors shaking, herd of elephants coming, men all yani, everyone running towards it. When the men time, when when it's the men hour, everyone's standing on top of each other and yani, cutting whatever. It's a nightmare. I wouldn't tell my worst enemy to go to Rawda. Yani, it will, it, you know, when I take new Muslims, I, I, I take them aside and I beg them, don't go to the Rawda. I beg them, don't go to the Rawda. And I was saying the same thing. I've always said the same thing, right? And that's, you know, and we can speak about that later. I don't know who comes in, they'll get the full version of that. But the point is, the point is that 
the roda for those who don't know the roda is the, the the phrase which refers to the area in the masjid of the prophet which is in between his house the house of aisha and his member where he used to give the khutbah the prophet said that this is a garden from the gardens of paradise this is a statement of fact it's a factual statement it's not a statement of action okay that's that's what people miss but anyway okay um the the area itself has clearly some spiritual yani, you know reality and depth and and so on um i've never ever needed to change that advice and you know people do attack me for this by the way uh, in my group you shouldn't say things like that you know before and even some afterwards as well when they've gone and come back but water off a duck's back because the vast majority come back and say to me Wallah, Sheikh, we should have listened. Wallah, Sheikh, we should have listened. Wallah, and you were right by what you said. It was not a spiritual experience. I tried to make it, but I was being stood on. My salah kept getting cut. I was cutting people. They were cutting me, blah, 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 blah. It was really yani, aggressive, and I couldn't really feel the spirituality. I said, this is not something that you put a new Muslim into this environment. Anyway, anyway, I don't want to be keep regurgitating all of that kind of stuff, which I speak about all the time. But what I will say is this. This trip was no different. I gave my group, yani, you know, the heads up. This is the score. I don't want you to be making a big thing out of this. Blah, 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 blah. Um, and what happens? A booking becomes available. Wallahi, you ask Danish. Danish is right there. He's right there. Ask Danish. I said, if you find someone who doesn't have a booking, that they're on a tourist visa or they don't have a booking, they can take mine. Danish, did I not say that? I had zero intention of going. Zero. Okay, they're all yani, ready to go, the whole group, and uh, I said, I'm not going. I'm, I, let, me, let me take my, 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 my position, whatever. Anyway, Danish goes, no, 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 you should go, uh, you know, definitely, blah, blah, it's going to be different, it's going to be like that, whatever. You look at that video, it looks like, honestly, it's, a, it's dead, it's dead, it's absolutely dead, right? And we were made to feel like what the prime ministers and the presidents get, which is, you know, you know what happens when they come to an area, they close the whole area off, right? And, you know, they just go around and they, they you know, they speak and they do this and that, whatever, whatnot. You see, now, this is what I want to talk about. By the way, Ijaz, I just want to say, you're on the YouTube. You're commenting on the YouTube. I know I can see you because you're the only guy commenting on YouTube, but you need to be in the portal where everybody else is. Ijaz, okay? So logicalprogression.org. Get over there. But I mean, for this lesson, you can stay in YouTube. I just want to say shout out to my guy, Ijaz. Um, now, here's the thing, okay? Here's the thing. Uh, uh, nothing to be worried about, Ijaz. Um, here's the thing. Tanweer's statement is what I want to speak about. The new booking system is a blessing. That new booking system is what allows people to book a time slot, go there, and you'll get quiet ones, and you'll get busy ones, and you'll get quiet ones, and you'll get busy ones, and we've got a quiet one. Look at the video. It is empty. Anyone who saw the video, surely that's the thing that was screaming out, right? That, you know, we're walking around and this and that, and, you know... Jodri was with us and I was saying that we had so much space that Jodri, who's about three units the size of me, and I'm a big unit, okay, so he's three units. He was going around praying here, praying there. He was just, you know, he'd lie down like, 
<laughs> you will be relaxing like this, relaxing like that, etc., etc. It was the craziest thing I have ever seen and one of the most amazing, weirdest experiences I've ever had and I hated it. Yani, when I, when I, when I think about it, I really, really hated it. Even though I was overcome and whatever and so on. It was actually emotionally, the level of guilt was so overwhelming, right? So overwhelming. Um, you know, uh, I remember um, a couple of years back that um, I went to Umrah and one of the people there came up to us and said uh, that um, because you know our scholars from the West and blah 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 um, you can yeah, we can give you uh, we can get you to, to kiss the black stone okay um, it will be separated you know they get, all get pushed back a barrier gets a thingy and then dignitaries they come and they kiss it okay and um you know when you get that kind of offer it's it's a fitna man you know it's a fitna but uh i just couldn't do it and for me it was just so obvious that i couldn't do it do you know what i mean and it wasn't even a case of uh for my group you know, if I get my group in to do that, would it be okay? But I don't feel that loyalty either that this is about me or my group. I find that level of privilege just horrible. I'm not saying we don't use it in other places. I'm not saying I'm not a hypocrite in that I use it day and night in other places. I'm sure I am and I'm sure I do. But to do that in front of the people and to break their uh, spirit, to break their to break their spirit, to break their um, their hopes and dreams when they've been trying so hard physically and length of time, whatever, and they see some people just walk, whatever. I just, yeah, you know. So I, I didn't go, and I didn't think it was a major issue. I mean, in fairness, I've done it. I have, I've, I'm fortunate enough in my lifetime to have kissed the black stone a couple of times. So I guess maybe it wasn't that difficult for me to turn it back. I wonder if I hadn't done it previously in the previous 20 years, whether I would have not, yeah, any, uh, uh, not, yeah, any had that same reaction, I probably wouldn't have. Maybe I would have grabbed it and said, "Well, just this one time." But I can tell you that it was very unnerving, and I felt very uncomfortable with the kind of space and time that we had in the rova, and. That's when I realized that, wallahi, this deen was not meant to be worshipped like this. This area was not meant to be kept like this. That this rawdah is not meant to be empty like this. That there are people out there who are begging to be allowed in. Even though, subhanAllah, this is the, the delicious irony of this. I don't even believe in the legislation of the reason that they're so desperate to come in. The idea that I must pray in there, must this, must that, whatever. Because I just don't hold it as a, an act. I... For, I, I I've never seen any of this. I don't need this as a, but obviously we all like to have a precedent from the Salaf. But the scholars and the students of knowledge will not be found 
يعني in the روضة or promoting the روضة because academically it doesn't stand up spiritually it does academically, technically and legally just so that you understand obviously the imam He's now been brought back into the Rawdah, but for the last 1400 years, he's been praying at the front part of the mosque. If you look, there's a part in the video. If you look at the video, you'll see a part where you see the mihrab. That mihrab is the mihrab of Uthman and Umar at the front of the mosque, beyond the mihrab. So that's where the Imam used to stand. And then you've got all these lines and whatever. If you can find me one scholar on this planet that would say that it is more rewarded to pray in the Rawdah, than the front line behind the imam then you, you show me that person and if he agrees with what i just said then you tell me what is this madness to get into the rawdah and make it bigger than what it is for a spiritual moment to be in jannah and so on and so forth that is what people should appreciate and, and but people when they go there they don't they want to pray something or do certain zikr or do certain dua they want to associate actions with it which i find unnerving but, uh, not another thing, I find it, uh, I feel I'm not comfortable with that. However, I don't think it's haram. I think it's an acceptable difference of opinion, you know, to differ on our approach to it. But, and even though I disagree with those people, I just think that they should be there. I think that people should not be blocked off from these kind of situations and these kind of moments. And it's then that I realized, well, it's not that then when I realized, but it really hit home for me just how important it is for the hustle and the bustle of the believers to come back. When we went in to do Umrah, it was the same. Going around the, 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 the and it was actually getting, starting to get quite busy on the Madaf. And we started doing Tawaf. But I didn't get touched. I didn't get, you know, whatever. And I missed, I missed the Nigerians. Yeah, and he, you know, crushing me. I missed the Turk women. Yeah, and he completely, yeah, and he clotheslining me. I missed the Malaysian, Malaysian trains, you know. I miss the Iranians. I can't even believe I said that. I miss the Iranians. Yeah, and chanting in their dodgy tajweed. Yeah, I missed all of the. I missed everything. You know, is it really a dawaf? Yeah, if you don't get donkey punched, it's true. Okay, how can we talk about the juice is worth the squeeze if there was no squeeze? And that's what we're always saying, right? We're always saying, yeah, just go in this dawaf and enjoy it. Yeah, and because the juice is worth the squeeze. That's our copyright line. The juice is worth the squeeze. Bro, there was no squeezing. And I missed it. I missed it. Um, and I missed the masses and I missed the really big busyness. Now, I don't think that's going to last for longer. Inshallah, it's going to return. But anyway, but anyway. Baji Suraya, yani, she was going around and enjoying herself. She didn't get squeezed at all. And that's why she did so much. Guys, I want to apologize. Um, uh, there's no doubt that there are small groups that are going to benefit. Like, for example, Selma, I just mentioned autistic people or people with sensory issues. Um, the people who were on wheelchairs, they had the greatest experience. They get actually a... Uh, so what they've done is that no one can go near the Kaaba. So a little barrier. When I say barrier, I mean those red carpet barriers, you know, the rope, you know. And then they've got a kind of a semi a circle. That's what they use for the wheelchairs. And then a barrier. And then you're behind that. I think that's really good, man. Because that protects you as well. And it allows them to have a little bit of extra, uh, uh, you know, closeness. And a bit of, uh, bit of benefit for your disability. And um, 
I think that's something that they could maybe do going forward. But but the booking system for either Umrah or for uh, the Rawda, I hate to say this because the Rawda booking system, as Tanweer said, is crazy. What a blessing it is. I don't think it's a blessing. It needs to go. We need to go back to the old school of kicking, fighting, punching, and me this morning about it. And me threatening everyone that goes there and that, that I don't want to know them. And me not going. We need to go back to that situation ASAP. Yeah, that sounds really weird, that. But for the time being, but for the time being, yeah, take your booking. That's the system, okay? Bro, Arif, I gave a full halaqa in the rawdah. Allah niqassam, uqsim billah. Arif, are you kidding me, bro? I, I, I faced the whole of the group and I gave a halaqa in the rawdah and there was space for thousands of people that would have fitted in there. Okay, and I was explaining this and that and this and that. And I don't know what was going on. I don't know what was going on. And I was looking around the cops. The cops were looking at me. They're like, are you for real? I'm like, what do you want me to do? It's <laughs> amazing. It was crazy, man. It was crazy. And the booking, you can get it like, you know, you can, book, you can get it straight away or whatever. Anyway, I think we need to... Um, Guys, the problem is I can speak about this all day and I know that some people are going to get really upset. Like, Mesa is really quiet, but she is bubbling. Okay? She is bubbling. And we don't want that to happen. No, no, don't you try to be nice now, Mesa. Don't you dare. We like angry Mesa. We don't like any polite, yani, don't speak about the lesson. Uh, it's okay to not speak about the lesson, Mesa. We are dependent upon you to keep us, yani, in check. By the way, my beard has got a bit long, boys. You know that. I only noticed in this screen here. Yeah, this needs a bit of a trim, I think. You know, look at that. Right. Um, I saw a question here. Where was it? When Imam Bukhari radiallahu an wa alayhi rahmatullah did the following, I was saying he didn't pray in the road or just compiled. Before he actually placed the hadith in his compilation, he performed ghusl and prayed two raka'ah nafal prayers, asking Allah for guidance. He finalized each hadith in the Rada of Masjid al-Nabawi and wrote the hadith in the Masjid. So there's a couple of things uh, to say about that. Um, of course, this is uh, not a religious injunction and Bukhari never wanted it to be uh, like that either. And, Bukhari, and if we were to actually accept, and there is some discussion whether Bukhari did indeed complete the 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 the, the, the jamia in this way actually in this manner actually it's the least authentic part of the whole authenticness of sahih bukhari let me just say that okay um uh <laughs> you know it's i'm sorry guys but people are commenting you know what i mean i just want to say okay i just want to say that Jodri, Muhammad Mudir, okay, is telling me to be careful about which barber I go to because some, some, some people, some people went in their ihram to barbers and said, instead of telling them to shave their heads, they said, if you can do the beard as well. And they took off the beard. Now for Jodri to be telling me, yani, yeah, okay, this shows that he's a legend, the king, he's the king of the whole universe. That's the end of the start, end, end of this discussion. So I just want to say that, uh, Sumera, that, um, 
uh, whether that actually happened or not is in question. However, let's just assume that it did. Uh, then there is a consensus of the scholars that whatever does actually happen in the rawda is going to be better than not being in the rawda. So that's the idea behind it. So obviously, Mubarak, yani, doing things in Ramadan, doing things in a blessed place. So there's no doubt that it's a blessed place. But you, know, you wouldn't go around and say now that, all right, it's a sunnah now to complete a book there, or it's a sunnah there to start your dars there or whatever. But it's a blessed place. And if you were just you know, thinking, hey, I'd love to be able to do something of blessing, right? Uh, we don't understand the virtue or we don't understand the nature of uh, we don't understand the nature of the blessing because there's no um, quantitative narrations that indicate it but it's a qualitative thing and even the qualitative nature of the rawda has not been specified it's a factual statement it's a garden from the gardens of paradise that's neither that's a statement of fact. It's a khabar. It doesn't give us qualitative or quantitative realities. Anyway, you know. All right, guys. Bismillah. We're on page 80 of the commentary. We are on... Someone going to uh, post me the thing or am I going to have to open up the whole thing? If someone can put the translation there, that would be great. But uh, the English, the Arabic that we're reading... وَأَجْرُ الصَّلَاةِ قَائِدٍ عَلَى نِصْفِ أَجْرِ الصَّلَاةِ قَائِمٍ وَتُسَنُّ صَلَاةُ الضُّحَى وَأَقَلُّهَا رَكْعَتَانِ وَأَكْثَرُهَا ثَمَانِ I don't think we're getting past that. I don't think we're even getting close to that. So, um, nobody got the text there? Okay, let me just do the tra oh, Thank you very much. Here we are. The reward for the one, so the translation of then our, our lesson's text that we're studying today is that the reward for the one praying sitting down is half that of the one praying standing. The duha prayer is a sunnah. It is a minimum of two units and a maximum of eight. We might get to the maximum of eight today. All right, maybe. All right, let's jump straight into the concept of reward, right? So those who saw last week, you would have seen we spoke about that. This is, of course, a, a person who is able to stand and pray, but decides not to. And we said that if a person is able to, isn't able to stand, right, that sitting is the only thing they can do, then they get the full reward. This is not applying to them. The reward halved concept is only when you are able to actually do it. If you are unable to, then you don't. And we spoke about the hadith, of, uh, the, the, the evidence for that. The Prophet ﷺ said, if, um, if the servant becomes ill or travels, it will be written for him what he used to do when he was in good health, when he was a resident. Meaning that if that's your norm and you do that, but you've now been prevented from your norm because either you've traveled or because you're ill or because you're unable or because you're being forced or because you're in situation, whatever, you will get the full reward of what you used to do. That's where we ended last week. To continue, Sheikh Amin says, this is from the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this concept, okay? Um, and anyone who's got, uh, you know, or anyone who thinks about this, they should really take this as a motivation to do as much nafil as possible. 
as much supererogatory actions as possible, the non-obligatory acts, okay? They should be really regular as on that as they uh, can in their good health and when they are at home for the sole reason that when they are traveling or when they are at work, okay, um, or they are ill, then all of that reward keeps carrying on for them. Now, I just want to, an idea came to my mind. I, I spoke about this, I speak about this in fiqh salah, in fiqh salah. One of the issues with fiqh salah, okay, that I'm worried about is the people praying. You know, a lot of people when they're working, whether in retail or corporate, wherever they're working, when it comes to their salah, few people pray the sunnah, very few, dhuhr I'm talking about. It's dhuhr and asr, obviously, that people really end up praying at work. Obviously, winter now, it's dhuhr, asr, maghrib, isha, mazul chak fajr in right now. Anyway, missions every 10 minutes, got to go and pray. The, um, but dhuhr is the main one, right? And it has sunnah prayers. And I've always said, look, right, we want to try to uh, we, want, we want to try to encourage uh, people to never let their sunnah go, but not at the risk of making the salah so difficult that they actually start to then go off praying the obligatory prayer. That's a general principle anyway, let alone then when you're at work and it's tough. So we say, okay, no problem. Leave the sunnah you know, that you're, when you're at work because it's just a mission and you've got a little bit of time and you don't have, you know, whatever. And you've got to take lunch and you've got to take a break as well. I mean, you've been working, if you've been working proper and hard, then that's what you should do. However, the idea that you uh, don't um, pray the sunnah there must be compensated for on the days you're not working. And that's my big concern. My big concern is that is that uh, people are not going hardcore when they're at home on the weekend. This hadith, yeah, it should be a real motivation that when you're at home or you're off or you're not at work or you're sh on shifts or the weekend, like I said, you've got to try to ensure that you do the non-obligatory stuff to a level which is more and above than what you would normally do. To be, if only for the reason, to be able to qualify to come under this hadith, right? And I do think that you will come under this hadith. The hadith does mention marad or safar. It's not restricted to this. My opinion is that these are explaining the illa for why um, you get the reward. The shari reason is being um, required to do something, not forced to. You're not forced to go and travel, okay? Sometimes, I mean. And illness is obviously something which is put upon you. You can't do anything about that. But my point is, is that there are expected from you in your life we're going to be key moments where you're going to get out and be around and be in difficult situations and so on and so forth. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given uh, provision for those folks by allowing them to clean up, uh, get extra reward, at the, uh, you know, even in that situation. The Prophet wasallam said, the hadith again. إِذَا مَرَدَ الْعَبْدُ أَوْ سَافَرْ كُتِبَ لَهُ مِثْلُ مَا كَانِ يَعْمَلُ مُقِيمًا صَحِيحًا Hadith narrated by Imam al-Bukhari in the book of Jihad and, and military outings and the hadith number 2996. The translation is 
when the servant becomes sick or travels, it will be written for him what he used to do when he was resident, when he was in good health. So when he is not resident, i.e. traveling, and he's not able to do the stuff that he wants to do, like fasting because he's traveling, like the sunnah prayers because he's now busy. And, um, uh, and for example, when he used to worship and, you know, he used to have lots of energy and he used to pray and so on. Um, but now he's ill, so he doesn't have the energy and he can't. And I gave the example of my father, I think. And, you know, that, that, that first hand, I know, that continuously prays Salat al-Awabin, which according to him and the school that he follows, is, which is the opinion of some of the Sahaba and Tabi'een, is eight raka'at after Maghrib, okay? And I never see him miss that. I never see him miss that, in my life anyway, all right? And then when he had this, obviously, COVID very bad, he couldn't even stand up. And I was really worried that he was, you know, because he's, he's like another pack daddy, you know, pain in the backside when it comes to issues of ibadah and health. So when we tell them they don't medication, don't, you know, like every diabetic pack that we know, they're all, you know, uh, no, I'm fasting, if it, even if it kills me and all this kind of nonsense. And I was getting ready for a real battle with my dad. But it just seems that, you know, when they get to that age now, or the older that my father's become, he seems to have kind of chilled out more, which is strange. He, he, he took it. And I kept telling him this hadith, and I said to him, oh, Allah, trust me. You're, it's like, you just take the advantage and enjoy the, the fact that you've been doing it every day and you don't need to do it today and you're getting the full reward. Wallah, this is the statement of the Prophet You're getting your eight raka'ah done because that's exactly what the Prophet said, right? So, um, yeah. Um, so I just think that, um, you know, if you're one of these people who works in retail, finds it very difficult to pray the full sunnah with their dhuhr, I believe that this hadith would apply to them if if and because they're doing risk which is halal and it's tough to get the time off and so on and so forth. I don't want to say the hadith fully applies, but I think yani, there is a lot yani, that we will be able to uh, benefit from. Yani, you know. Um, and Salma is saying that you know, it's hard when you're not in the daily habit, okay? Um, there's a very good practical point she makes. You know, people praying sunnah when other people are not even able to pray their fard in a small restricted place, right? And so it is difficult. My concern is not just getting the reward for the days that you're at work where you're not able to pray the sunnah as per this hadith. My bigger concern is that you fall out of the habit. Once you fall out of the sunnah habit, it is the most difficult thing to get back into because shaitan makes you so comfortable in justifying that. Just do the obligation. Just do the obligation. So comfortable. So comfortable. And that's a real problem. That's a real problem. So anyway, uh, the Prophet uh, Sheikh Uthameen is saying that this is a real blessing, yani, you know, that we should take taqat uh, from, you know, energy from and do as much as we can. Sheikh says, uh, but if you don't, uh, uh, if you don't have an excuse, meaning that you're not being forced or you're not ill, and you have the full choice to stand up, but you decide to sit down, then you will get half the reward of the one who's praying standing. And so, if you if you if you were to get ten units standing, you're going to get five if you're sitting down. Simple as that. Sheikh says there's also hadith that uh, indicate that 
The same happens for the one who's lying down. The lying down one will get half the reward of the one sitting down. So the lying down one gets a quarter, basically, of the standing guy. All right? If you're lying down. Um, this hadith indicates uh, uh, this, uh, this text, for example, is uh, based in the hadith narrated by Imam al-Bukhari on the same the, the, the following the same uh, pattern if you can't then pray sitting down if you can't then pray lying down so that's the that's where the concept comes from hadith bukhari 1115 but mentioned something interesting he goes but this portion of the hadith even though it's authentic and well known and established majority of scholars didn't actually act by it they didn't implement it they didn't really kind of push towards it right um by the way, I just want to say that this is Cairo. It is like this 24-7, right? Beeping and mental sounds and this and that, whatever. So, sorry, not sorry kind of thing. But it can be, I think, disturbing because it's disturbing me anyway. But that's just, that's just, yeah. Arif, because you are Fallah, that's why. Okay? You are Fallah, that's the problem. Yani he's missing anything. <laughs> so this is, uh, uh, so I just want to put that out there. Um, the majority of scholars didn't actually, you know, get involved in that kind of, uh, not didn't get involved, they didn't apply this particular kind of uh, practically. And there's a reason for that is because a lot of people didn't, a lot of scholars didn't accept the validity of praying lying down didn't actually accept the validity of, of praying lying down yeah which is uh, we know is not really an acceptable position uh sheikh says that sheikh Uthameen says some of the scholars um some of the scholars said that no we take the hadith we apply it but we just got to keep halving it so this person will never get half the reward of the standing prayer, will always only get a quarter. And that's what Sheikh Uthameen agrees with. He goes, this is something which, you know, the hadith is in Sahih Bukhari, hadith is established, we're always going to accept it, even if we don't practice it. And if you are un if you are able to and you pray lying down, then you're going to have to get um, a quarter. And the whole point behind this is to encourage us to pray more. First of all, let's stop. And not miss the forest or the wood or the woods to keep all Americans happy uh, for the trees. Let's not lose sight of the bigger picture here. What are we even talking about? We're trying to encourage people to do more nafal prayers, to do more sunnah prayers. That's what we're, we're talking about. And if you're being told that you can pray sitting down and you can pray, you know, lying down and whatever, then you really, all your excuses are being removed from you, man. It's being made easy for you, right? Um... You know, it's it's about mindset. It's about mindset. You know, Muslims have got to be in a practicing mindset and in a, and have an ibadah mindset. So, what do I mean by an ibadah mindset? An ibadah mindset sees things differently to other people because of their paradigm, the the paradigm shift that's occurred has put their actions 
has put the reality into a different perspective. What do I mean by that? Like a business class seat and an economy seat, there's a thousand pounds difference. But the person who is looking at it from a distance journey, and these are all halal, of course, there's no doubt about it. You know, I want to make it easier, I want to make it more relaxed, I want to, you know, I want to enjoy the meal. Maybe he's a foodie, doesn't like the economy food, wants that, whatever. These are all halal reasons to pay the money. But you've got some people who pay that purely because they 100% can pray there properly. Don't have to depend upon begging the air hostess or being dangerous in the emergency exit. Pray fully standing. Make a prostration in the space that they've got. Blah, 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 blah. They have an Ibadah mindset that is justifying for them that expenditure versus that. The thing that I've been thinking about a lot recently is the auto-driving mode on the cars that has been tested on you know all the different electric cars and Tesla and all the rest of it. And um, I've been thinking about this for a long time. Now, I'm not the religious guy. Let me just make it clear because I don't want this to come across as, you know, oh, he's praising himself uh, because anybody who knows me knows 100% I'm not that person. But I'll tell you something. I'm obsessed with one day getting one of these electric cars um, as soon as possible. But I'm always one of these people who never is a first adopter. I always wait for everyone to you know, go through the whole mill and understand it and you know, get it, make the system perfect. And then once it's all done and all the bugs are out and then it's all done, then I'm going to go into it. I'm going to go into it. And the reason I want to get into it, and again, this is horrible because even when I'm saying it, it feels making me feel sick and whatever. But the idea of having your car warm at fajr time, melted. I know some people are going to turn around and say, you can do that with your normal car. Bro, there's a big difference, man, being on your phone, just do that. And your car is secure on frost melted, warm. Bro, I'm telling you, alhamdulillah, I don't have a major problem going to fajr, but the masjid have done that for the last 20 years. The, but I can tell you it's tough in the winter. If you're in Canada, let's say it's, it's impossible and they still do it, yeah. But you know, to have that and you get into your car, I'll be buzzing over that. I can't wait for that. Other people are doing it because of economy and blah blah, which is absolutely a halal and great, save the planet, great, whatever. I'm thinking about it for my father. My father will not, doesn't like living with me and he prefers to live separately because he likes to go to the masjid every salah. When you live with me, then we have to drive to the masjid. And his driving ability is going down slowly. So for me, I want to get the car so that he can sit in the car and just press masjid and it will go. Because that's what the whole point of auto driving is meant to be, right? Where else is it meant to be? Yeah, he's, you know, even for another 30 years, he can be 100 years and he'll know he's an amazing driver, you know, his skills. but. He can be there doing the emergency part, but the whole, you know, the whole point is that I want him to be able to be taken to the masjid and then back again. What an incredible result. What a lack of, what, how much hassle that will save me, for example, putting him in a situation that can do that. And the reason I brought this point up here is that um, people should be choosing to be driven as opposed to driving so that they can get more opportunity to do Sunnah whilst they're uh, in the car, like the Prophet used to do. So what's really interesting 
is that the Prophet is on a journey and he's never losing an opportunity to pray Sunnah. And so he's not going to stop by and ruin his journey or put the journey at risk. So he's not going to stop. He gets under the camel and he's clearly praying on the camel. And the camel is going in a direction, not in the direction of the Qibla. And he's doing pseudo ruqur, pseudo sajda, not touching the, the back of the camel at any point, indicating that we are technology and luxury and resources are meant to be used for a reason. There are multiple reasons. What's your reason? That's the paradigm shift. That's the ibadah mindset. That's what we need to remember in this little section here, uh, that the reason these ahadith have been put into place, that the prayer of the one sitting down is half, uh, whatever, is to say it's not all over. Hey man, you even get reward for praying sitting down, so just take advantage. So if the deen is pushing all of these things, yani, as much as, 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 uh, you know, as you can see, you've got to adjust your mindset to receive it and be happy that there's these concessions and therefore embrace them. And if you're not embracing them, then you're missing the point of the hadith. And I know that we get all kind of technical into the legalities of the hadith, but the real point of the hadith is to make us yani, understand to take every single opportunity that we get to worship him properly but in this very little time that we have. Yeah, I meant uh, fully autonomous. Thank you for that. That's what I meant. I, I, I'm not very good with these kind of phrases just yet. One day, inshallah. One day. All right. Let's at least try and do what I was hoping to do, which is to talk about Salat al-Duha. The Sheikh says, and the Salat al-Duha, Imam al-Hajjawi, the author of our uh, piece, our text, he says, it's the Sunnah to pray Salat al-Duha. Salat al-Duha is one of these kind of names uh, which is given because of its association with the time that it's in. So the Salat al-Duha, the Duha prayer, is the Duha prayer because it's prayed in the Duha. The Duha is the forenoon. The forenoon is about a quarter of an hour, 20 minutes after sunrise until about a quarter of an hour before uh, Zawal, um, before Duhar starts. Okay, so that's that. all this period of time is called the Duha. And the Duha prayer is called that because it is um, uh, uh, prayed in. This is, this, this is a common practice, naming things after the place or the time. Yeah? Udhiya, for example. The Udhiya, which is Qurbani, yeah, packs called Qurbani, is called Udhiya because it's done at the time of a Duha. The Udhiya is from the same root of the word Duha because that's when the Sunnah is to actually do the uh, sacrifice, right? Of the slaughter of the animals. It is the Udhiyah because of the Duha. So the name is linked to the time. The prayer here is linked to the time. Um, and the author says it's a Sunnah. What does that mean? Sunnah means uh, something which has been uh, commanded to be done, but not by way of obligation. It's been We've been requested to do it, but not by way of obligation, right? So, what's the ruling of a sunnah? The ruling of a sunnah is that you are rewarded for doing it, and you are not punished for leaving it. You are rewarded for doing it, and you are not punished for leaving it. What we call, يُثَابُ فَاعِلُهُ وَلَا يُعَاقَبُ تَارِكُهَا that, uh, that, uh, that, he, that the one who does it is rewarded, and the one who leaves it is not punished. What is 
the evidence that this prayer is a sunnah prayer. The statement of the Prophet ﷺ when a person came to him and he told him that there are five prayers that have been obligated upon the Muslim in the day and the night. Five, five prayers. The man said, And is there any more that I need to do? Any extra that I must do? I need the absolute bare minimum. I need to know the absolute yani, conditions of this day. And the Prophet ﷺ said, La illa anta No, except that which you offer yourself voluntarily in a supererogatory fashion. But obligation, only these five. And of course, these five are the five daily prayers. Salat al-Duha was not mentioned from them, therefore it is not an obligatory prayer. Sheikh says that another evidence that the, the Duha prayer is a sunnah prayer and not an obligation is the hadith of Mu'ad ibn Jabal when he, at the end of the Prophet's life, when he sent Mu'ad as an envoy to Yemen to give them da'wah, and he said to the and he said to Mu'ad, "A'alimhum an Allah tarza alayhim khamsa salawatin fi al-yawm wal-layla." Go and teach them that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has obligated upon them five days in the day, five prayers in the day and the night. This hadith is uh, narrated in Bukhari. The previous hadith was narrated in Bukhari. These are both super authentic hadith. So in this one, the Prophet didn't mention Salat al-Duha. He told Mu'ad go and teach them that there are five obligatory prayers in day and night that they must do, bare minimum, otherwise there's going to be trouble. Didn't mention Salat al-Duha. Therefore, Salat al-Duha is not an obligation. Um, now, what does it mean that it's a sunnah? There's different interpretations of the scholars about what this means. What does it mean? The first opinion is that it is a regular, absolute sunnah. A sunnah uh, mutlaqa. Yeah, meaning that it is unrestricted. It is something which is to be done in an absolute sense, to be done regular, and so on and so forth. What's the evidence for that? Um, th that it's a sunnah that's to be done regularly and to be done yani, you know, continuously and regularly. The hadith of Abu Hurairah, anhu, um, which has also been narrated by Abu Darda and Abu Dhar, anhu ajma'in, that the Prophet advise them to do a few certain things from them to pray two rak'ah of Salat al-Duha. In Abu Huraira's version, which is the most famous of them, he said, Awsani Khalili, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, bithalathin, rak'ati al-Duha, wa an uthir qabla an anam, wa siyamu thalathata ayyam min kulli shahr. This hadith is narrated by Imam al-Bukhari, hadith number 1178. The translation is, that my dear friend, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, advised me to do three things. The first is to pray two rak'ah of Salat al-Duha. The second is that I do witr before I sleep. And the third is that I fast three days from every month. These three days referring to the Ayyamul Bil, 13th, 14th and 15th of the lunar month, when the, when the sun, when the, when the moon is full light. By the way, I've got it in my head, by the way, I forgot this hadith sometime recently. Can someone remind me, was it in an LP class? Because I've got this something, or was it in an Umrah, or was it in a coach? Somewhere, I forgot the third advice of the Prophet and it was to pray with it before I go to sleep. 
Can anyone remind me what, um, where I forgot that? Does anyone remember where I was, where somewhere I forgot what the hadith was? Just, just because of my own sanity, because I'm mixing up so many different classes. I was in Quba. Thank you, Mahbub. Jazakallah khair. Thank you very much. Well done. Thank you, guys. That's, you see, it was really bugging me now because I, com my, 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 I completely forgot the third thing from the hadith and I thought, why have I forgotten that? And how did I not, not, not know that? Let's just answer this question. To clarify, is this use of mutlaq different from the discussion a few weeks ago about mutlaq versus muqayyad sunnah? Because this one is connected to time. It's a very, very good question. Um, and the truth is, is that um, it's not clear why of all words that Sheikh Uthameen called it a sunnah mutlaqa in this particular uh, sense. Because as you said, everybody agrees that if we are going to call it a sunnah, it's only a sunnah at this time. So it is restricted. I don't think it's being used in that sense, in the concept of restricted and unrestricted. I think it's being used more in the, the sense of absolute and authentic and to be done yani in a in a uh in a um an emphasized way i think that is what is being uh, used for not in its usuli sense but allah knows best that's my own interpretation because exactly as you have said exactly as you have said it doesn't make sense to use the word mutlaq for it but when you compare it to the other opinions this is why i'm saying what i'm saying when you compare it to the other opinions of what Salatul Duha actually is, then mutlaq seems to take on a new meaning, which is what I just told you what it is. That it's a regular, to be not missed kind of sunnah, which is to be practiced regular. It will become clear in a second. Okay? Um, so should we pray with it before sleeping? I thought it was the last prayer to pray for nighttime after the hajjid, for example. The, the uh, idea... Um, yeah, and that's basically, Maryam, how you interpreted it is how we are interpreting it. Okay, exactly that, that like that. Uh, so my is it, on the issue of witter, the whole point of witter is whatever happens, you're gonna go to sleep after it. Whether you go to sleep, yani a full night sleep, or and not pray, wake up with the hajjid, or whether you pray to hajjid and then go back to sleep after it. Okay, there's some point you're going to sleep after the witter, in general. But anyway, the whole point of this hadith is that you don't miss the witr, not that you don't wake up for tahajjud. So if you are going to wake up for tahajjud, that's an exception. Then you don't pray the witr, you go to sleep and then you wake up later and then you pray it. But if you are going to sleep, then you've got to pray your, and not waking up for, for tahajjud, then you should pray your witr before you go to sleep in case you miss it, in case you miss it. All right. Um, that this is a general sunnah that's to be done regularly every single day. The second opinion, Sheikh Uthameen says about the Duha prayer, and we'll cover these four and then I think we'll call it. Yeah, that's good. Um, is that some of the scholars said that it's not a sunnah. It's not a sunnah at all. So it's the opposite of this first opinion. Because... There are so many hadith narrated. This is the statement of the scholars. 
there are so many hadith narrated that the Prophet ﷺ didn't pray the Salatul Duha. Now, um, some of the examples of this, for example, is the hadith narrated by Imam al-Bukhari, no less. Hadith, uh, hadith number 1175. And this is in the book of the Hajjid, in the chapter of the Salatul Duha, whilst traveling. On the authority of Abdullah ibn Umar, and um, this is a small version, but I can tell you the full version. He was asked about Salat al-Duha, and he was asked specifically, did Abu Bakr, no, he was asked about his father. He goes, did your father pray Salat al-Duha? He said, no, he didn't pray Salat al-Duha. Did Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, radiallahu an, did he pray Salat al-Duha? He said, no, he did not pray Salat al-Duha. And then he was asked about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Asalla nabiyyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and duha. Did the Prophet, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, did he pray salatul duha? He said, la, la ikhanuhu. La ikhanuhu is a phrase which basically means like, I don't think so. Right? So he's not being certain, certain about it. Right? Because the question was, did you see him pray? Right? Or oh, that's how some scholars interpreted it. Do you think he prayed? Did he pray? The point is, is that he didn't want to give the same level of certainty about the Prophet ﷺ not praying duha like he had amount, like he had with Umar and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhum. Now that comes as a big shock to a lot of people. There are more than these Sahaba, by the way, that didn't pray Salat al-Duha. Okay? And it makes you think this is like one of the most, yeah, any, how can I say, one of the most uh, uh, um, basic yeah, any sunnah acts and you'd be like, you know, right? Oh, very good. Bilal has uh, given the translation. Very good. So did you offer the, did, do you offer the Duha prayer? No. Did Umar used to pray it? No. Did Abu Bakr used to pray it? No. Each time very clear, okay? No. And then the Prophet ﷺ, did he pray? And then, La ikhanuhu, like I said, that little bit of kind of less than, I'm not saying doubt, but less than. Now, it's not just these companions. There's a very interesting hadith also from Aisha radiallahu anha, uh, narrated by Imam Muslim, hadith number 718. Aisha radiallahu anha, she said, مَا رَأَيْتُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ يُصَلِّي سُبْحَةَ الدُّحَى فَقَدْ Okay, I did not see the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam pray the duha in that time, in the morning time, at all. Okay, and this hadith, at all. That's the key statement here, at all. Um... Now, I, I don't want to spend so much time here, but I do want to, but I do want to say something about this, okay? There's, it's absolutely clear that there's more to this than meets the eye. So let's start with Abdullah ibn Umar. There are two strong schools of thought on Abdullah ibn Umar's position on the Duha prayer. When it is so well established, so authentically narrated, 
that he did that encourages others to do it and so how on earth is Abdullah bin Umar holding this position and more so how about the others why are they holding this position Abdullah bin Umar used to be quite vociferous in his position so the first uh, opinion is that he just didn't get the evidence he just did not see the evidence and that's the, the explanation for most of these scenarios in which companions seem to go against others in, in an issue it's they didn't hear the hadith or they didn't see the action and so they assumed that it didn't happen but what we know of course as a principle is that Adam uh, al-Wurud does uh, that the lack of an action being narrated or seen by a person or by all of us does not mean it didn't happen so that's the first thing however the scholars prefer the second opinion more the second opinion is that Abdullah bin Umar used to be very strict on this issue to the extent that people used to think that it's not even part of this deen actually to do it to that extent that it's not actually from this deen to do uh, or not sunnah rather I should say to pray the Salat al-Duha because he saw and, then, and now there's two opinions here now as well so the second opinion can split into two a not so common one and then the common one the not so common one is because he was worried that uh, people were going to take it too important too seriously and therefore they were going to like never leave it almost become like obligation very similar to what the prophet uh, uh, what, what the prophet did um, with uh, the tarawih prayer left it after three nights because he doesn't want it to become obligatory okay so that's one explanation but the more commonly accepted uh, position that you'll find in the books of fiqh is that um, there are evidences to suggest that this was all that all these hadith and everything they were said in the context of masajid and in in masajid and that, that this uh, that the duha prayer is meant to be prayed in situ certainly at the time of Abdullah bin Umar what he was observing he was observing the people praying the duha prayer in the masjid so much so that it was like as if it is connected to the masjid if it's not prayed in a masjid it's not yani a duha prayer and this would be very wrong there is no connection actually between the masjid and sunnah prayers in general anyway let alone the duha prayer and so some scholars said that abdullah bin umar and his vociferousness yani in kind of saying no there's no duha prayer is a kind of another way of saying that you know you know going all the way in this negative kind of way to get them to stop praying in the masjid entirety almost like he's tried telling them listen don't pray this in the masjid if you want to pray pray at home he's kind of gone through that it's not happening so he's like listen there's no prayer in the masjid no you know i can imagine that you know when you get irritated and i'm not saying that we don't have irritation but that's one explanation that scholars favored allah knows best all right so there are reasonings that we can give for abdullah bin umar's position and on the position of aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha as Rafiq has written I think it's a good starting point the hadith of Aisha maybe she said that I didn't see that because the Prophet didn't pray at home he prayed it elsewhere now we do have evidences that the Prophet did used to move around and pray the Salat al-Duha different places so this is a is a possibility um, however to say that he prayed it in the masjid would create the other problem did he pray and that's why people used to think that he used to pray in the masjid because he did pray in the masjid and some people are now, and therefore Aisha wouldn't see it. So that makes sense why, why she'd say this. But it also would make sense why the people took it so important to be in the masjid, which is not where Sunnah prayers are meant to be prayed. So there's an interesting narrative there. 
But one thing that is very important for us to know about Aisha is that we know that Aisha knows that the Prophet ﷺ praised this prayer. We know that because in Sahih Muslim, again, same book, same book of hadith, the Prophet ﷺ, uh, she said that the Prophet ﷺ would pray four raka'ah of Salatul Duha and sometimes would increase upon it whatever he wanted. This is a hadith which is Sahih, we're going to come to later, next week. Four raka'ah of duha he would pray and sometimes he would increase upon it. So he, so she, she radiallahu anha, knows very clearly that the Prophet prays uh, the duha prayer. And it's not about whether she could see or couldn't see, she definitely has seen him pray. Whether she's gone to the masjid to see, you know, doesn't need to look from the house, whether she's gone to see or whether uh, she, he's prayed it at home. But she definitely knows that he prays. Definitely. And we also have another uh, uh, evidence, and that's because in the full version of this hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ was not meant to have prayed the, the duha prayer at all, in other versions of this hadith, Aisha herself is basically saying that he was never regular on it. That, is, that, that was her intended meaning. That sometimes it would be on, and then sometimes it would be off. And I just wanted to repeat this, so that because we're coming at the end, and I know that it's coming a bit long, and the time is going on. So let me just say this, for those people who might be thinking, why would you say something like that, that, you know, that he's not regular upon it. Don't forget that Aisha is the first, Aisha was the one who narrated the very famous hadith to us that the Prophet ﷺ would sometimes fast so much like you're thinking that he's fasting all the time. And sometimes he would not fast so much that you'd think that he doesn't fast at all. He never fasts. So this is a kind of an observe, observed reality around the Prophet ﷺ, all the time doing this. So in order that the people don't feel too much pressure to become connected to it, so it becomes too difficult upon them, so that it doesn't become obligatory upon them, so that it makes the situation worse for them. He himself ﷺ, can handle praying all day, every day, and fasting all day, every day, no problems. But if he does an action continuously, people will copy people will take it very, very seriously and they're going to get into difficulties as a result of it. So um, that's my personal opinion. I think all of these narrations can be reconciled and the observations of Abdullah bin Umar and Aisha are part and parcel of the Prophet ﷺ definitely doing this act but in a way which is measured and not making it more important than what it actually is. These are the two opinions of the scholars so far. Two more left. The uh, another uh, Other scholars said, ah, it's a sunnah only if it is from um, that person's normal habit to pray Qiyamul Layl. Okay? So, if the person prays Qiyamul Layl, then it's sunnah for him to pray Doha. But a person who does not pray Salatul Layl, then... Uh, sorry, I did it the other way around. I thought I was, I thought I was saying something weird there. If a person's sunnah is to pray the Qiyamul Layl, it is not sunnah for them to pray the Salatul Duha. They've fulfilled the, 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 the extra bonus or sunnah offered to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the day and night. But if they don't pray the Qiyamul Layl, then that is what compensates for it. It is sunnah for them to pray the Duha prayer as a kind of replacement for what they didn't pray in the night before, which is a more emphasized and a better prayer a more emphasized and a better prayer to Hajjud, no doubt about it, better and more emphasized than Salatul Duha. So that's the third position of the scholars. The fourth position of the scholars, that it is a sunnah 
but a very unrestricted one. This, Maryam, is the point I was making. It's a sunnah غَيْرُ رَاتِبَةً يَعْنِي يَفْعَلُهَا أَحْيَانًا وَأَحْيَانًا لَا يَفْعَلُهَا So it's done sometimes and left sometimes. It's sometimes, يعني, done sometimes, uh, 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 you know, it's here and there, here and there. Like Aisha is kind of describing. These are the four positions. In summary, that it's a general sunnah to be done all the time. That it's not sunnah at all. Number three, it's sunnah only for people who don't pray Qiyamul Layl. Number four, it is a sunnah to be done on an irregular basis just to keep it alive, just to stay in the game, here and there, here and there. Sheikh Uthameen concludes and says that in my opinion, what I think is most obvious is that it is the first position, it is an absolute sunnah, it is to be done regularly, it is well established from the Prophet ﷺ in his advice, and then it is super emphasized in a very important hadith, which is what I want to close on. The Prophet ﷺ said in a hadith that, uh, uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created uh, Adam or created uh, mankind on 300 with 360 joints with 360 joints we'll come to that in a minute Suraya at the end right now the scholars differed over the word mifsal yani what does it mean joints does it mean bones does it mean joints uh, by the way if anybody here is a medic and knows how many joints or someone google it how many joints do we actually have in a body because I've always wondered uh, about this, because I know what the scholars have said about the Arabic of Mufsal, whether it refers to the actual joints or not, or whether it's something bigger than that. But, the, uh, you know, you can translate this even that the, that, that the 360 aspects to the moving body. I'll even, go, I'll even make it as flexible as that. That's me having lots of artistic license. So think about that, that you've been created of, of, we're upon 360 uh, 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 kind of joints. Really? Wow. How about that? How about that? I never knew that, you know. You know, sometimes I'm a Bandu, right? Proper Bandu I am. And I looked at this hadith all the time and I just accepted it that we've got 360 joints. And I never, like, thought... Because to be honest, I wouldn't care less if whatever the Kufs tell me, anyway, whether it's 360 or not, I know that it's going to come down to 360. The, the hadith is going to be first, not the rest. Yeah, I couldn't care less about thinking, but I'm really, I'm really impressed with that. Okay, anyway, so there's 360 joints. So now we know that that's, that's the fact, physiologically. The hadith then which comes after is the Prophet ﷺ said that يُصْبِحُ عَلَى كُلِّ السُّلَامَ that a person wakes up every morning and, ev and upon every limb is a sadaqah. So a person wakes up and, and, and approaches the morning and upon all of these, uh, upon all of these uh, limbs is sadaqah. By the way, Thaqib, I'm more than comfortable with your answer. 300, we, we, we have this discussion before when it comes to large numbers uh, and, and uh, when it comes to numbers and a very definitive statement being made, in general, it's meaning many. And uh, small is many, meaning small, not the exact number. So uh, it's joint. A mifsal is a joint, okay? But I'm just trying to uh, put in limbs to kind of make it more... Uh, uh, 
Well, yeah, my physiology now needs to be refreshed, but can a limb What's the definition of a limb? What's the definition of a limb? What's the definition of a joint? Someone post some limb and joint things. While you're doing that, whatever it means, look at this hadith, yeah? Every limb meets the morning and it has a sadaqah uh, upon it. So now you know that 360 sadaqah needs to be done in a day. That's basically the meaning of the hadith. That the Prophet ﷺ then goes on and he says, فَكُلُّ تَسْبِيحَةٍ sadaqa." So every subhanallah that you say is a sadaqah. So it's trying to make it easier for you to cheer you up. That don't get worried, you don't have to pay hundreds of pounds every day. Every tasbihah is a sadaqah. وَكُلُّ تَحْمِيدَةٍ sadaqa." And every time you say alhamdulillah, that's also a sadaqah. وَكُلُّ تَحْلِيلَةٍ sadaqa." Every time you say la ilaha illallah, that's a sadaqah. وَكُلُّ تَكْبِيرَةٍ sadaqa. Every time you say Allahu Akbar, that's a sadaqa. And to enjoin the good is a sadaqa. وَنَهْيٌ عَنْ munkar sadaqa. And to forbid evil is a sadaqa. وَيُجْزِئُ مِنْ ذَلِكَ رَكْعَتَانِ يَرْكَعُهُمَا مِنَ الدُّحَى But two units of Salatul Duha suffices for all of this. Meaning that with all this pressure that's upon you every day to do how much sadaqah that you need to do as a bare minimum to make up for the blessing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, has given to you. Okay? Um, what is it? A joint is the movable connection between two bones and a limb is one of the paired appendages of the body used in locomotion. So, it's the joint. Anyway, I'm sticking to joint. Alright? And that's it. So, I just want you to know that if you step back and think about this hadith, that there's a sadaqah upon the joints. Why on the joints? Because it's like an extra blessing, right? Imagine, you've got all these bones that do these kind of, uh, you know, these great actions, right? But if they were not able to move, then, you know, you would still be able to get by, but it would be all kind of where, or I don't know. So it's almost like we should be grateful for the, the blessing in the blessing. And that blessing in the blessing is like to the extent of the joints itself, we should thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for. And there's 360 of them, so we need to do 360 versions of thanks every day in charity and give charity for it. And these are the ways to do it. Say subhanAllah, alhamdulillah, Allah akbar, la ilaha illallah, to enjoin the good and to forbid the evil, to teach people, to stop people in haram, to give money, all of these are sadaqah, but if you want, then just two rakah of Salat al-Duha covers all of this, these obligations. Obligations, because it's not an obligation. So I hope that that makes sense. The Shaykh al-Thameen then says, and he ends, he goes, so based upon this hadith, it is definitely a sunnah to pray every morning. I like the, his thinking, because he said every morning, the limbs, the, the joints are obligated to pay their sadaqah, right? So, Sheikh says, most people are not able to do all of this sadaqah, give all this money, uh, and so on. And so this is a way which should be their substitute. And that's, uh, so that's, my, that's the class position as well, that it is a regular, common sunnah to be performed. 
and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. All right, we'll just take a few minutes of questions because this lesson went on a bit long. This lesson, I think, is an exception, though. I'm not going to lie. I don't feel too guilty because after a major event like Umrah, we went back to the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after literally two years, bro. I mean, and you're telling me I'm not going to spend an hour speaking about it. Are you kidding me, bro? You know what I'm saying? People don't need to calm down, man. Right. So, Baji Suraya is saying that you said you have to keep sitting after Fajr in order to pray Duha prayer. No, so what I actually said is that the Duha prayer has, according to different cultures, different names according to the time that you pray. We'll come to that maybe a little bit later. But the Shuruq prayer, which is what we were talking about, the hadith which indicates that if a person after they finish the Fajr prayer remains in their place, not doing anything other than being engaged in dhikr, not moving around, not speaking about anything, and remains there until the sun rises and above the sun 15-20 minutes later, and then prays two raka'ah, that that person will get the reward of a Hajj and Umrah completely. This is the hadith of the Shuruq prayer. And I said that the Shuruq prayer is a form of the Duha prayer because it is put in, as you'll see next week, basically. As you'll see next week, inshallah. Right. Uh, any questions, guys? Oh, gosh. There's lots of questions. Right. Hold it, guys, because we can't take any more questions because there's loads here. Oh, my goodness. My grandmother is 90-something years. Uh, it's 90-something. And can pray while standing but can't sit between the sajdas and for tashahud because she has a knee problem on her left knee. I told her to do the qiyam and to sit after the first ruku and to then sit throughout the prayer. Is this right? She, that is right. Okay? That is right. Exactly like that. Because then to get back up is difficult. And that, so she, that's exactly what you say is right. She wants to know if she can be exempted for next year Ramadan if it becomes difficult for her. Yes. Okay? Those who la yutriqoonahu fafidyu ta'am miskeen. Yani that is the ayah specifically in Surah Al-Baqarah is for those who are unable to then they will pay on behalf of those that uh, they, will, they, will, they will feed others on behalf. Um, am I back, guys? Tell me whether I am back. Um, are we still in the same video? Let's have a look. Let me enter into the session and let me just see. How many fingers? How many fingers? How many fingers? Okay, you are back. <laughs> you gotta admit, by the way, that's a pretty cool way of knowing that I am back, yeah? So, alhamdulillah. All right, good. 
right my apologies i don't know what's happening man four on the thumb um by the way i just want you to know that Chaudhary basically i'm never going to call him muhammad mudir again all right it's Chaudhary. whenever you see muhammad mudir remember it's Chaudhary. Chaudhary just wants to go to bed so he's blaming on me i think you need to go to bed sheikh you cheeky little fish all right now we're gonna, now if it freezes again we're canceling the lesson we're, 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 we're closing the lesson okay guys if it cancels we're closing i'm just gonna go try to finish off these questions that were here if the bleeding is from heavy light to none how does this affect her prayers does she have to make up those that she couldn't pray and just to be clear a ghusl is required when the bleeding stops no there is no ghusl required there is no stopping her prayer a woman in pregnancy is always praying because she cannot have menses okay unless by some at the very beginning there's something else but i'm talking in the middle of a pregnancy she's bleeding this is this is uh, thingy blood right now if it, this is uh, just whatever blood it's not menstrual blood if it's labor that's something else but this is this is not labor so there is no ghusl, there is no stopping the prayer the prayer continues she keeps herself as clean as possible salma you've asked for killers here bro but let's just I'll go for it quickly. Is it well, let's do is it possible to pray the four sunnah before Dhuhr as sometimes two and two, sometimes it's four? I don't believe that it's an act which has I believe you either follow the opinion is four or you follow the opinion is two and two. It's permissible, yeah, because it's a matter of difference of opinion, but no, I don't think you should do both. You either believe it's two and two or you believe it's four, and I think it should be two and two. Salma says, if you are physically shattered, exacerbated by chronic health conditions or in extreme pain and you can't sit and pray nafal or sunan, should you pray lying down? Yes, that's what you should do. If someone has OCD, undiagnosed or just obsessed with cleanliness and says you can't do wudu on the plane, can they do tayammum? If it's reached a level of physical illness where they literally won't do the 